Welcome to the Mission Gathering Thornton Message Cast. This week, Pastor Lauren talks about the importance of open communion and how this commitment to radical inclusion goes back to the very roots of the DOC's founding. Of 2000, almost 19 years ago, I feel old saying that, almost 19 years ago that I had just arrived as a new student on the campus of Baptist Bible College, a small Bible college in the city of Springfield, Missouri. My dad had graduated there some 30 years prior about, and I enrolled seeking to follow in his footsteps and pursue a career in church and ministry. So months after graduating high school, my family and I, we loaded up the family RV and we headed from Colorado down I-70 to Springfield, Missouri to drop me off at college. Now, my parents, they knew uh, some church leaders and folks down in Springfield, but I, I didn't know anybody, not a single soul. And with an un- incoming freshman class of around a, a few hundred people, I was eager to make a few friends and make a, a couple connections, if you will. And pretty early on, uh, I realized it was not going to be my roommate. So I don't know if you're, what your experiences are with good old college roommates, but I remember the first time I walked in the door of my dorm room, I walked in and there's kind of like these, you know, when you like just do pants and just, you know, just the, the halo, like the double halo, there's like three or four of those just sitting around the room, you know, shorts and whitey tighties, and I just realized, well, this is going to be a rough year, and it was a rough year. Uh, fortunately, I did make a connection with a, a kid who lived in the area named Ryan, and Ryan and I actually uh, still talk to this day. I told him I was going to give him a shout out in the message. So, um, Ryan, if you're when you watch this, I, you're welcome. I gave you a shout out. Uh, life has taken us in different directions, but I'm still glad to be connected with him. Now, the thing about Baptist Bible College is that they had a strict dress code, and uh, at least 20 years ago they did, and the, the, so much so that the men had to wear slacks, a shirt like this, and a tie. And the women uh, actually had to wear a skirt or a dress. And we had to wear this, these dress clothes to class and then to lunch, up and basically through lunch until the afternoon. So I remember on the first day of school, there I was, 18-year-old Lauren. And if you can imagine, you have to imagine really hard with a nice head of hair. <laughs> there I was wearing slacks and a shirt and a tie, walking down uh, the cafeteria, down to the cafeteria. So in the, in this, they had a pretty big campus and uh, the, the, the classrooms, education building were on one end and the cafeteria was all the way kind of down to the other. And we crossed, there's this, there this uh, drainage ditch that they call the Jordan River, um, you know, can you imagine why? Uh, so you'd walk down parallel, and then parallel to the, the Jordan, as we call it, and then you'd cross over and get in line to get in the cafeteria. And as I'm walking that way, I'm just looking all over for someone, anyone I knew, because you know it was coming. Lunchtime is coming, and it, and it was the proverbial lunchroom scenario we've all experienced at some point in our lives where we try to find someone to sit with. Now, when I was in high school, I was fortunate in that we didn't really have a, a dedicated cafeteria. We just ate in the gym. So, um, you know, we'd eat on the school bleachers. So what, basically what I could do is just, I could just find a spot, like, 
on the school bleachers, kind of near somebody, sit down kind of in the vicinity of somebody, and I'd, I'd be okay. Uh, but on this first day of college, there was a no escaping the fact that I was going to have to find a seat at a table with somebody in this uh, crowded cafeteria. Not only was it full of freshmen, but also full of upperclassmen. I had no idea who they were. So I waited in line. I got some food. I got my drink. And then I stood there. And if you can imagine, I stood there holding my lunch tray, looking out onto the full tables at the edge, kind of at the edge of the carpet, scanning the crowd for for any face, for a single face I knew. And as I stood there in my shirt and tie, you know, the seconds felt like hours. I scanned back and forth, hoping against hope for somebody, anybody I knew to recognize. And at the time when just about all seemed lost, a classmate's voice rang out to me in a classic Texas twang. I don't know if I can do it. Hey, Lauren, come over here and sit with us. Thank goodness. It was another another classmate. I think his name was John, and he was from Texas. And we'd we'd happened to meet, I think, uh, a couple nights earlier on a bus ride, of all things. And he saved me, at least that day, from the unrelenting anxiety of finding a place to sit for lunch. Now, as I mentioned, uh, finding a seat in the, in the lunchroom is a scenario that probably for many of us we've experienced in one way or another at some point growing up, and uh, unless you're one of the popular kids, so uh, you can leave now if you <laughs> didn't ever experience that. Uh, but in all seriousness, you know, for most kids, lunch is a time to, to catch up, relax, you know, meet with friends, trade Twinkies for snack, whatever, trade your stuff. But for many others, it's just, just this just acute anxiety of trying to find a seat and facing that daily humiliation of what am I going to do? Where am I going to sit? And for these kids, and maybe it was you, the, the school lunchroom feels almost more like a Hunger Games arena where it's just survive and move on for another day. I mean, why, and we wonder, like, why is the, why is the school lunchroom so, uh, so, so stressful? And then, you know, at least when I was in high school, and certainly more so at bigger high school, some of y'all probably went to, you know, there's the, there's the jocks, there's the band, there's the goths. Do goths, do they still have goths today? You know, the folks who wore all black still have those today? I don't know. You know, they have all these different cliques, and you're trying to find your clique. And if you can't find your clique or you don't belong to your clique, then it's just, oh, and, it, and with all the chaos and the rowdiness and the noise, it's just, it's a stressful situation. It stresses me out just thinking about it. Whatever our school lunchroom situation was like, I think in one way or another, we've all gone through something like this at some point in our life. I mean, maybe, maybe, for, maybe for you it was the struggle of a new job, you know, trying to get the new boss to like you, trying to fit in with your team, trying to understand and adapt to the unspoken rules and norms of the place. Maybe it, maybe it was your home life where, you know, a sister got all the attention, you were kind of left behind, whatever, and you kind of felt like you were fighting just to, for moms or dads or whatever for, for their attention, for their acceptance, for their inclusion. And then, you know, rather seriously, maybe for you, for some of us, it was a church. You're made to feel broken or worthless because of your sexuality, 
you were judged or condemned because of your mistakes or your missteps, or you were stunned and silenced because of your doubts or your uncertainty. And sadly, while we might expect this at school, at work, and I think painfully even sometimes at home, it seems like of all places, the church would be a place where we would be welcomed and accepted. I mean, of all places. Yet we know that for far too often that's not the case. Now, in all fairness, right, churches are, after all, just, we're all just people, right? We're all just people trying to do our best, and we're all imperfect people trying to do our best sometimes, falling short. So no matter how hard a church tries, at some point, folks are going to make a mistake. And I, I think we can all forgive that, right? We understand, you know, we're all human. But what matters more and what, what bothers us more is when churches purposely exclude, purposely reject, and purposely leave out because of, because of our sexuality, because of our past, because of our, our doubts, whatever. So this was a problem that uh, bothered a, a young man named Alexander Campbell some 200 years ago. So uh, Alexander Campbell, I'm going to call him Alex for short, was born and raised in Ireland, and along with his family and his siblings, they were Christians, and they, they went to church regularly. And when Alex was 19, he and his family, uh, or his father, moved to America for health reasons, and then uh, Alex stayed behind with his family until his dad could get things kind of settled in, in the U.S., and about a year and a half later, when Alex was 21, um, he made one of the most important decisions of his life. So his family had moved to Scotland and were attending church there. But one of the things that bothered him about this church where they were attending is that the churchgoers were expected to be examined before the, the, the elders of the pastors of this church, before they were being allowed to receive communion. So if found worthy, a person was giving was given a communion token, uh, and actually have one right here. So if you can see, this is a tiny little token. Um, it says something like, this is actually from Scotland. It says something like, uh, I can't do my, my Scottish very well, Killian Church or something like that, 1826, believe it or not. So what you'd have to do if you want to receive communion in that church, if you have to, you'd have to meet with the deacons or the elders, whatever they called it, the pastor, and you have to show yourself to be worthy to receive communion. And then they'd give you one of these tokens. And whenever church met on a Sunday, you'd come forward and show off your token and you could receive communion. And, you know, like we could expect from any college age kid, right? Alex began questioning these, these practices. So when the time came around for them to do the Lord's Supper again, he found himself bothered by the idea that a person needed to be questioned or assessed before they could participate. He felt it was just humans making unnecessary rules to divide and to exclude people. So on the Sunday when Alex was, uh, when he came on a Sunday to receive communion, uh, one Sunday morning, he was still kind of unsure about how, how he felt about, about the whole thing. He you know, he was unsure and he wanted to participate, but in his gut, in his gut, he just felt like something was amiss, something wasn't right. Oops, I dropped it. He might have done that. So, you know, one Sunday morning, he nervously sat through the entire service, fidgeting with his coin, trying to figure out what he was going to do. And as the service progressed and it got closer to the time of communion, 
And it was time to come forward and receive. The invitation was given. He, he held the coin, and he squeezed it tightly in his fists, and he walked forward, slowly making his way to the front. And he showed his token to the pastor. But when the bread and the cup was offered to him, he rejected it. He said, no thanks. And instead he turned around, walked out, passed his seat out of the church. Paralysis just wouldn't do. And the fix was simple. Welcome everyone, just as Jesus did. I like to think that when Alex was thinking about these things, he was probably thinking about a, a text that I want to read for y'all today. It's from Luke chapter 15, verse 10. It's, it's going to be on your screen if you'd like to follow along. I'm going to read it here from the, the text just because I like reading it uh, from paper. So in Luke 15, verses 1 through 10, it says, Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near to listen to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Jesus told them this parable. He said, Which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine and go into the wilderness to go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And then when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I found the sheep that was lost. Just so, Jesus said, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who need no repentance. And I guess that wasn't enough, so he told one more parable. He said, or, he said, listen to this. He said, what if one woman having lost 10 silver coins or having 10 silver coins loses one of them? Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, look, look throughout the lamp and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and her neighbors saying, rejoice with me for I have found the coin that was lost. And Jesus said, just so I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. You know, the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin are, are two well-known parables of Jesus. And of course, after these parables is the well-known parable of the, of, we call it the prodigal son, of the wayward son returning home. And a, a parable, for those unfamiliar, is just like a, it's just like a story, a simple story used to illustrate a spiritual or a moral point and as compelling as these stories are, the reason why Jesus tells these stories is equally compelling. And I think if we look back at that first verse in, this, in the section of reading, I think it tells us what Jesus was getting after when he tells this story. Let's look at the first part one more time. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming to Jesus, coming to listen to him, excuse me, coming to Jesus to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, this man, this fellow, this guy welcomes sinners and eats with them. Can you believe that? I mean, what a shock to these people. Now in the day of Jesus, these tax collectors and these sinners, they were the worst of the worst. The tax collectors, uh, they were folks who, who were fellow countrymen and they worked for the Roman Empire, the folks who collected the taxes, who where the taxes went to, 
And they kind of sold out their own people and would go to their own people and say, give me taxes for the Romans. And even worse, they'd sometimes skim off the top or, or charge more so they could enrich themselves. Probably many of us have heard of probably the most well-known uh, tax collector. We've heard of Zacchaeus, right? We will Zacchaeus in Sunday school. Now, the sinners, I mean, I think we, that's pretty obvious, right? People who were judged by the Pharisees and scribes, these were the religious leaders of their day as being, as being the bad people, the troublemakers, the wrongdoers. But interestingly, interestingly enough, Jesus, according to their own words, welcomed them and ate with them. Jesus, demonstrated here and illustrated by his parables and his stories, believed that God's love and God's welcome were for everyone, not just the noble, not just the upright, not just the respectable, everyone. And for Jesus, eating with these people was a great way to make that clear. I mean, it's no wonder then that Jesus was so big on including others in his meals, And it's no wonder that Alexander Campbell found it so disconcerting that the Lord's Supper, communion, the Eucharist, whatever we call it, a meal that was meant to celebrate and represent the radical love of God made known in Jesus was instead being used to exclude, to divide, and to leave out. We can, of course, of course we would find that disconcerting, incongruent, dissonant, the power of what the Lord's Supper communion represents symbolizes the radical, inclusive love and welcome of Jesus to God's table. And that's what ultimately spurred this guy named Alexander Campbell to spur a movement of, re- a movement of renewal among churches in America and ultimately even across the world, emphasizing unity and inclusion most powerfully demonstrated through the weekly practice of communion in churches. We are today, we are today a church uh, following in his footsteps. We're a part of a nationwide group of churches called the Christian Church, Disciples of Christ, a movement that goes all the way back some 200 years ago to Alex himself, churches who welcome all to God's table as God has welcomed us. So some 200 years later, we welcome everyone We welcome everyone, whether today is your first time in church or whether this is your 40th time, your 400th time, or your 4,000th time, whatever. We welcome you, whether you've been in church your whole life or you barely know anything about the church, whether you're gay or straight or trying to just figure this whole thing out, whether you're a good person or not, whether you're a faithful follower of Jesus or you're not sure about this whole thing, you're welcome. And more, we invite you, we invite you to be a part of this church. We invite you to be a part of who we are, to join with us in our mission, and to bring your whole self. And maybe this morning you're like, Lauren, you don't know, you don't know who I am. You don't know my past. You don't know my struggles. You don't know my doubts. You don't know my mistakes. You don't know who I, you don't know all my junk. But the thing is, God does. God knows you. And still God welcomes you. God loves you and says, you are welcome. You know, we believe that church is a sacred place. 
where we come together to share our beliefs, our doubts, our joys, our struggles without fear, without fear of being rejected by one another or being rejected by God. We believe that God's love, not doctrine, is what holds us together and is the deepest expression of our faith. The deepest expression of our faith is found in the way we treat others. And we believe in welcoming all to God's table to participate in the Lord's Supper. And we believe in so doing, we powerfully demonstrate the radical love, the radical love and inclusion of God made known in Jesus. So join us, sing, participate in communion, worship, but more, feel welcome to bring your whole self, your whole self here, because this matters. This matters so incredibly much. Be here. You know, if you're involved in in education or working with kids, teachers, educators, psychologists, psychiatrists, they know the emotional damage that can be inflicted on a child when they're excluded, when they're left out, when they're left behind. You know, whether it be in the classroom or the lunchroom, I mean, we all know, right? We know how painful it is in our own lives to be omitted, to be overlooked, to be left out. And we've all experienced in some way or another, or at least we probably know of others, who have felt the deep and Sometimes lifelong pain, right? Lifelong pain of feeling rejected by the church and, and essentially, while it's not true, feeling like we've been rejected by God because the church had rejected us. The good news is it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't. At Mission Gathering Christian Church, you can experience the love and welcome of God like you may have never experienced before. At Mission Gathering Christian Church, you can find a safe place to bring your doubts, your questions, your uncertainty, knowing you will never be shunned or excluded for what you do or don't believe. And at Mission Gathering Church, you will always be welcomed, no matter your past, no matter your mistakes, no matter who you are. And at Mission Gathering Christian Church, your story, your past, your pain can be transformed by God into a story of love, of acceptance, and inclusion. So you are welcome here. And I invite you to consider this day who you might know in your life who also is in need of that welcome, that acceptance, that inclusion of God's love made known in church. Whoever you are, wherever you are, wherever you come from, Know that you are welcome, and we welcome you as God has welcomed us. Amen. Hey, thanks for tuning in with us this week. You can check back for new messages each Tuesday. If you're in the Denver area, come see us this Sunday. You can find out more about our service times as well as the mission and vision of M.G. Thornton at mgthornton.org. That's M-G-T-H-O-R-N-T-O-N dot O-R-G. See you next week.